Good morning once again, church, and I pray that you've woken up this morning with a song in your heart and a praise to the Lord, that you see that His uh, righteousness and His faithfulness endures forever and ever, and um, even despite the circumstances, the, the wild circumstances that we're all facing right now, uh, for us to keep our eyes focused on uh, Jesus Christ and to allow him to fill your heart with his truth and his love and his wisdom and to help you to endure to the next day. So uh, I'm anticipating what the Lord will, will do through his word this morning. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and pray and go before the Lord and then uh, we'll fig- find out our uh, <clears throat> our text address for this morning and get into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, Thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity to open up your word and to glean from it, to hear from you, Lord, we are anticipating what you will share with us today through the message, Lord. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. May it be crystal clear to our hearts that we are able to understand, to rightfully divide your word and apply it to our lives Father, we thank you for the fellowship of the saints, even remotely, the fact that we know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ interceding for us and praying for us, uh, encouraging us, Lord. We thank you and we love you. We pray this all in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, this morning we will be going through Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 down through 21. And I'll go ahead and begin and read now. And it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 21, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. I've entitled this message, Idols and new ideas. Today, we're going to learn about what went on in the next location that Paul would visit and the challenges that he would face there. We're going to see the first part of this uh, sermon, this teaching that's going to go on between Paul and those in Athens. So we know that uh, Paul was in Berea and everything that happened there, and he got rushed out of there, and then he boarded a ship and he sailed to Athens. Uh, 
when he reached Athens, he was just his mind was blown by the amount of idols that consumed the city of Athens. I mean, they were under the oppression of foreign gods. This was just the culture and the temperament of this area at the time. He from that and from that the anguish and the grief that he would experience of witnessing the city under all these idols he would be led by the holy spirit to reason with these people and share the only transformative truth that is Jesus Christ and him crucified upon preaching the gospel the good news to uh, to those in Athens he'd be challenged by some of these philosophers some of them were known as epicureans and others were known as stoic philosophers of the day now these philosophers they considered the truth that Paul was teaching as babble they they just didn't get it and they thought it was nonsense but because they prided themselves upon uh, you know the amount of knowledge that they could retain and had they were actually curious to know more about this one true and living God who was Jesus Christ Paul would later be brought before the high council of Athens to explain the gospel message to these leaders in that city uh, the several main points that we're going to go through this morning I'll start with the first one and it's this one of the most destructive things in anyone's life, whether it be a believer or a non-believer, are the idols that we erect and set up in our lives. First, we need to have a clear definition of what an idol actually is. So the definition for an idol is this, an image or representation of a God used as an object of worship. Now, for us today, we may not really that may that that definition may not resonate with us because we may not be those who, you know, uh, obviously, I don't think we're carving or casting, you know, metal uh, pieces and cr creating statues that we worship. Now, there, there are some in some cultures that do that, but uh, I don't believe that many of us do that within our fellowship here. But I think we can relate to this definition a bit more. And it says, a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. I think that resonates more with, with us today. Uh, this second one, something or someone that we greatly admire, love, or revere. We give a lot of attention to. We give a lot of emotion to. We're passionate about. Those things are idols. Basically, anything that you and I give more attention to than Jesus Christ is an idol in your life. We will learn that though Athens had much to offer as far as culture, their arts, and their architecture, it was all for nothing. It was all for a loss because all of this rich, decadent culture that, that they uh, created in Athens, it was all offered to the glory of false gods, not to the true and living God. And unfortunately, we still see this attitude and this behavior, uh, these same things going on in our own culture today and, and still in the world at large. We see this, uh, this glorification of false gods and uh, this, this, this misleading of truth being held in society and in our world today. The second main point this morning is, as Christians, as believers of Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, 
we are always to stand up for the truth of who he is and for the purpose of who Christ is. We see that in this in this in this portion of a portion of scripture, excuse me, Paul's reaction to uh, uh to witnessing a city full of false idols was he was moved to share the truth. He was moved to action. He had to do something about it. He felt led to. One it's when you think about it, it's one thing to see falsehood and you see, you know, people living in sin and to be upset about it, right? It's one thing to feel that way. It's a whole other thing entirely to see that kind of stuff going on and be led to action, to be moved to do something about it. Paul understood this in his time that that there was something that must be done. He couldn't just sit back idly and watch as all these people were led astray by these false gods and these false idols. And for us as well, we should have that same inclination that when we see falsehood and and sin going on around us, that we would be those that would react by responding with the gospel, with the truth of Jesus Christ to those around us who are in our sphere of influence. Uh, you look at the world today and with with so much lawlessness, the Bible is clear, lawlessness will abound in those last days, in this in these times uh, and that we're living in. Obviously, we see this on a daily basis. We need to be those as believers in Christ, as his church, that will speak up against this wickedness trying to destroy all, our culture and to truly stand up for the truth and not shy away from the difficult conversations that will come about because there are going to be those that oppose and do not know the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The third main point we have this morning is this. Some who want to know more about Jesus Christ only want to know more in order to debate their newfound knowledge and ideas. These philosophers in Athens were not like the Bereans at all. Remember last week that the Bereans were very attentive and they were eager to hear the word and they fact-checked, they searched the scriptures daily to make sure that what they were being taught was correct. Well, these philosophers, they uh, did not share the same sentiments as the Bereans. They were not curious about the teachings of Jesus Christ to be persuaded to receive the life-changing power of the good news of the gospel. Rather, they wanted to know because they wanted to be able to debate amongst each other and they wanted to be able to discuss amongst each other these newfound ideas about this one true and living God and how through him you can receive eternal life and 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 be able to be in heaven with him forever at peace they wanted to be able to debate this against their claims of who their gods were and and what they believed and so that was the driving force behind why they were curious to hear what uh you know Paul was preaching because they prided themselves on what they knew and how they could uh, regurgitate what they knew or how they could share this information. It wasn't about what Jesus Christ could do for them. It was what they could actually talk about and what they could debate about. Why? Because they would be looked upon as being uh, enlightened. They would be looked upon as being very knowledgeable and smart and wise in their culture. And so with that wisdom and with that uh, apparent idea of someone being uh, wise and 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 and, and, and and very knowledgeable came power, obviously, came prominence, came 
prestige and influence. And so these were the driving forces behind why they actually wanted to hear the gospel message. This serves as a as a great reminder to us today that not all people interested in the gospel will actually be interested in the gospel and interested in Jesus Christ by pure motives. But with that, I will say this, still we are to witness with an equal amount of love and truth to everyone, regardless of what their stance is. And that that is because we don't know the hearts of individuals. We don't know who's going to receive Jesus Christ and who won't. So us as witnesses, our job, our, our purpose, our service in that to the Lord is to share in truth and love equally with every individual. All right. Let's go ahead and dive into our text now, and we'll start with verses 16 and 17, and it reads, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So as we remember uh, last week, Paul was... Uh, last in Berea, and obviously that's where he taught and where, again, the Bereans were very receptive to the teaching. They they did their own fact-checking. They were very uh, studious students of the Word of God. Um, they were very engaged. Once Paul was driven out of Berea, he boarded a ship and he headed for Athens. And so for us to kind of understand a little bit about Athens, it's good for us to have a backdrop to understand the culture and the environment there and what went on. So Athens was a center for Greek culture. Philosophy, art, and education were at the heart of their society. Again, they prided themselves on this. Athens also uh, had many magnificent buildings. Their architecture for that day and age was cutting edge. And so it was a big deal uh, for those foreigners that would come there and that would see they would be wowed by these structures and these statues and how grand and, you know, uh, just it was just over the top. And it would be like going to New York City or something. You know, you just seeing all these buildings towering, these skyscrapers all over the place. And, you know, it, it would be just an amazing sight, especially as people travel by ship. It would be like, again, New York and being on the ferry, you know, going from uh, Staten Island to Manhattan. And you're seeing, you know, from just that that, uh, you know, the skyline, and it's just, you know, it's like, wow, that's crazy that 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 exists, that people created that. As was a big deal, just like all their culture, philosophy, arts, and their architecture, was their collection of gods, their collection of false gods. They had so many false gods, so many idols that were erected and and, and given to uh, as offerings to their false gods in their culture. So when Paul witnessed all of this rich culture being dedicated to these Athens, uh, these Athenian false gods, these Greek false gods. He was troubled. He was grieved in his heart over what he was witnessing going on. And when we look at, excuse me, when we look at this word troubled in the Greek, it translates to sudden or violent emotions. And so Paul was filled with this combination of anger and grief welling up within him. He was he was feeling these these strong emotions based on what was going on and seeing that these people were spiritually lost and and they were blinded by Satan. They were trapped in this pagan culture. 
And when you look at these emotions that Paul was feeling, this is this is a great example of how God feels when 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 we are in the same spiritual state as those that were in Athens. He's grieved by the sin. He's grieved by the fact that we are not understanding what we are wrapped up in, and he wants to free us from that by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, and giving us breath in our lungs to have the opportunity to to turn to him each day if we haven't professed faith in Christ already. Though they were highly educated, these Athenians were ignorant of the one true God. And this is actually applicable to all people, non-believers and believers alike today. Because when you really get down to the 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 bones of of everything when you get to the heart of the matter knowledge is not enough because you can have knowledge of who Jesus Christ is but have no relationship at all with him you can have all the head knowledge you want about Jesus Christ you can know all the scriptures memorized by heart you know, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying that don't memorize scripture. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Or maybe I should word it a different way. But we can have all this knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But if we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning if we are not baptized with the Holy Spirit, and if we do not have the, the indwelling or, or the filling, I should say, we have the indwelling as believers. But if we don't do not have a constant filling daily of the Holy Spirit, our knowledge of who God is, our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, is of no use uh, to us at all. Because we, at that point, we don't have wisdom. We have knowledge. And knowledge is information. That's all knowledge is. Wisdom is actually the, 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 the putting into action of the information that we have. So, you see, we need the Lord's wisdom in order to... Utilize the knowledge that we have. We are rendered powerless if our spiritual lives are without the constant filling of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Right? So, you see, there has to be a great reverence for who God is. And that is the beginning of wisdom. That's the Lord revealing himself to you. You having that supernatural understanding of who he is. And with that wisdom comes, you know, the understanding of the knowledge of who the Holy One is. So again, in order to know God, we need him in the picture. There's no other way to do that. He has to reveal himself to us. If he doesn't, we're blinded like these uh, Athenians. These philosophers in Athens, they didn't have this reverence or this fear of the Lord. And so they simply just wanted to know knowledge. They wanted to know information of who God was. If you think back to when we started the book of Acts uh, a while ago, the disciples at that time, they had three years of learning from the master himself, Jesus Christ. What better Bible teacher to have than Jesus Christ, right? They, they sat at the feet of the true and living God in the flesh. And even though they had that that great time, those three years of teaching and learning, they were still told to wait. 
Why? Why were they still told to wait? What did Jesus tell them? Because he told them without the Holy Spirit coming upon them, living within them, they had no power. And so we see, likewise, those philosophers in Athens, they had much information and knowledge, but without the right perspective, you see, pointing them to the true and living God, all their knowledge was empty. Without the Holy Spirit, they had no true revelation and power within themselves used by the Lord. This city, Athens, was given over to idols. It was literally overran with them. And again, what is an idol? Basically, in short, anything or anyone who takes the place of God in your life. Many times we create idols in our lives that are that are so subtle that, that we don't even realize that these idols even exist or that we even erected them and created them in our lives to begin to, be, to begin with. And again, it's whatever occupies, what occupies the majority of your time, what occupies the majority of your energy, what occupies the uh, majority of your emotions and your affections, that is an idol. If it's not Jesus Christ, those things are idols. If they're taking more energy, more time, more emotions of you from you than what you give to the Lord, then that is an idol in your life. The more noticeable idols in our lives are obviously, you know, things that would we would easily spout off like, you know, material things. Oh, money. Money can be an idol. You know, our jobs can be an idol. Uh, sexual desires, you know, that's a big one where, you know, people, we make idols out of, out of things of that nature or, you know, f- different forms of chemical addictions, right? People that are addicted to this and to that, whether they're illegal or, or legal uh, drugs or medications or medicines, those things can become idols and our, we see our lives spiraling out of control because we need it we gotta have it we're not good without it we can't function normally if we don't have our fix right but there's also far less notable uh idols that are in our lives uh things and and people like our spouses can become idols in our lives even our children can become idols in our lives and this is a big one that will really touch home and, and and it'll cut some people even our service to the Lord, something as good and as pure as our service to the Lord can become an idol in our lives because we start priding ourselves off what we do for the Lord instead of priding ourselves off the Lord having love and mercy and grace upon our lives and us just having a relationship with Him, right? Even something like service to the Lord can unfortunately become an idol in our lives. Jesus was clear in Luke chapter 14 verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That is such a bold, strong statement that, again, misinterpreted Man, that's going to send people away for good and be like, I can't do this. I can't serve you, Jesus. This is not the God I want because you're telling me that I have to hate my father. I have to hate my mother, my brothers, my sisters. I have to hate my own life to be your disciple. That's just too heavy. I can't do that. Context. We have to understand what did he mean. What he meant by that is no one 
or nothing else should have a higher place in your life than him. Jesus Christ is the only one who should sit on the throne of your heart. Like Athens, we can have everything in this world going for us. And we could have all the favor that this world offers. We could have all the luxuries of our culture. But if we fail to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, all of our worldly success is for nothing. Even worse, our people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, yet they build up idols in his place in their lives. And we don't want to be those followers of Christ that are like that. We want Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts and that he deserves all glory, all honor and praise. Not other things, not other people, not ourselves, not our accomplishments, but Christ alone. No idols. Amen. Next, we see because of this deep burden for these people's broken condition, Paul was led to action. He didn't realize the conviction that the Lord put upon his heart and just simply think it away. You know how sometimes we we get, you know, convicted of things and, you know, we 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 know clearly that the Lord has revealed something to us, but yet we downplay it. We're like, uh, no, I'll, I'll get back to that later. It's like, you know, many times the Lord will, will lay something on my heart in the middle of the night or early in the morning, you know, two, three in the morning. And there's been many times where, yes, I've gotten up and I've responded and I've gotten in the word and I've, you know, figured out what he was trying to show me and jotted down whatever notes. And, you know, OK, OK, these are things that I that I need to do. These are great things that you're showing me, Lord. Thank you. But there's been also plenty of times, on the other hand, where the Lord is revealing something to me and I, I shrug it off. And I just, you know, I, I turn, I, I toss and turn in the bed and I just try to go back to sleep. And, you know, we don't want to be like that. We want to be those that, you know, like Paul, as an example in this, he had a deep burden and he had a deep concern for these people. And the Lord gave him a conviction and he acted upon it. He was grieved by the state of deadness that these people were in. And so he was he did what he felt he was led to do by the Holy Spirit, which was to go into the synagogue and to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He moved into action. He was used to do something about the situation. He didn't just sit sit by idly and allow it to continue, even though he felt the grief of what was going on and what he saw. Paul saw that there was wrong on every level being lived out in this culture, and he was convinced he must stand up for the truth of who Jesus Christ is. A question for us this morning. What do you do when you clearly see wrong being done? Do you ignore it and convince yourself it's none of your business and you turn a blind eye to it? Or do you roll up your sleeves and get involved in the situation? The application for us this morning is this. We as Christians should always be willing to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ. Obviously, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit in how we come across to others. And we don't want to uh, represent Christ by being in our flesh and in a way that's that's not you know, conducive to the person. Obviously, I'm not saying uh, compromise and bend the truth. We call sin, sin. 
but we can't just go out without being led by the Holy Spirit doing it. So obviously, you know, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and how he is leading. But we, by the same uh, token, should never back down from wrong lifestyles when we are confronted with them or when we come across them. Paul didn't do this uh, just one time either. The text says that daily he went to the synagogue and he reasoned with these uh, God-fearing Gentiles and Jews. So again, showing that consistency is paramount in the Christian life. It's it's a lifestyle. It's something that we, we need to be dedicated in doing, right? If someone is trying to get healthy and get in shape, whether they're working out or they're eating healthy, you can't just eat healthy one day a week, uh, once a month, you know, once a year and think that you're going to be healthy, that your body, uh, you know, your body is going to change. No, the same thing with exercising. You can't exercise once a week and expect your body to change. It's something that you have to do, have to live a lifestyle of, of being physically fit, physically active. You have to live a lifestyle of, of making healthier uh, choices in what you put in your body, what you feed yourself by the same token again. Spiritually speaking, we have to live lifestyles of doing this habitually. It's a habit to be in the Word. It's a habit to be in constant communication with the Lord and hearing from the Lord. It's a it's a habitual habit to be in constant communication in fellowship with other believers. This is what we need to do in order to be successful in Christ. Okay, let's move on to verses 18 through 21. He also had a debate, speaking of Paul, with some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Now here we're introduced to the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. These were the men who Paul had debated with, those who couldn't understand the truth of who Jesus Christ was about his death, burial, and his resurrection. And this is this is key. This is key. They they needed to hear about Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. They needed to hear why this happened. Why was it important for Jesus to one come to earth, hundred percent God, hundred percent man? live a life that was perfect, be a sacrificial death on the cross, lay down his life, die physically, then resurrect. They needed to hear that. They needed to hear that in their current state, they were dead and that they were born into sin. But the good news was that the one true 
and living God sent his only son to die in their place, taking away their sins for all time and giving them eternal life in him if they chose to believe and receive the gift of salvation. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. They couldn't understand that Jesus' love for them was so great that he died for them while they were still dirty, while they were still wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus Christ died for them. He became that sin sacrifice, that sin offering for all time so they could receive eternal life. They didn't need to get all cleaned up before they could be saved. And this was strange to them. This was babble to them because they considered themselves to be wise. They considered themselves to be great knowers of knowledge. And and they spoke of all the philosophies and all of the ideas that were currently going on in, in the world at that time. And they were at the top of their game. So for them to hear this teaching and these ideas and these concepts, it just did not resonate with them. They they did not get it. They considered Paul a babbler because of these strange teachings to them. The Epicureans and the Stoics were the dominant philosophers in the Greek culture of that day. Now, the Epicureans, they believed that seeking happiness and pleasure was the primary goal in life. They didn't deny the existence of these Greek gods, these false gods, but they believed that these gods had nothing to do with man. By contrast, the Stoics, they placed thinking, one's thought, one's mind, one's you know conceptual ability above feeling, and they tried to live in harmony with nature and with reason. This is how the Stoics... Uh, this is what the Stoics based their philosophy on. They would suppress or they would try their best to suppress their desires for pleasure, thinking that they were very disciplined. So I'm not I'm going to deny my I'm going to deny myself this, that and the other. And this is showing how 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 pure I am is because I don't indulge in any of these things. The Stoics believed that everything was God and that God was everything. So, you know, the lampshade is God, the tree is God, and, you know, the moon and the stars of God. That's, you know, that's probably where you get this whole, you know, uh, Mother Earth, Father Time, you know, that whole bit. It's, you know, obviously we know that that's, you know, not correct at all. But that's where all these ideas come from. They come from these lines of thinking, So they believe that all things, good or evil, were from God. And so nothing should be resisted. And they believe that there there was no particular direction or destiny for mankind. And this is is what they base their their belief system and their values off of. And you, you look at today, you look at the world today, and we still see these two ways of thinking very active in the world today. 
Um, it was these forms of thinking that the early church tried to keep from bleeding into the congregation, right? We and that, and again, this is um, you know Paul was trying to set the record straight for them and show them what you're believing and what you're you know debating and philosophizing about is incorrect. That Paul is like sharing with them, I have the truth. I I'm, I could show you clearly this is what the truth is. You guys need to be upped on this and do away with all this fool. Foolish talk you guys are talking about. The application for us this morning is this philosophy. Philosophy is man's understanding trying to make sense of the world and the life that God has created, while revelation is God's identity and his purpose revealed to mankind. You see that there's a big difference between the two. If you ever have noticed, all of the world's philosophies, they just simply continue to be recycled over and over down from these time of uh, these times of of the Epicureans and the Stoics to present day, all the way down the centuries. But they could never fully explain the purpose for life. They leave all their students hungry and empty desiring more with questions and questions that cannot be answered while the true christian life in jesus christ reveals the purpose for your existence and fulfills the empty hole that's within your soul these philosophers would mock paul calling him a babbler while others were intrigued because paul was preaching a foreign god to them they had never heard about a one true and living god that came down from heaven as a hundred percent god a hundred percent man that was to lay down his life as a sin sacrifice for all that uh, he would resurrect and raise from the dead and with him within him you could have eternal life they never had heard that so it was a foreign concept to them Though Paul spoke in a different place, to a different kind of audience, his message never changed. He focused on Jesus Christ and his resurrection. No matter where we find ourselves and who we find ourselves speaking to, the message we present should never change. And that's the application for us. It is the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We never should change up what we share. This is the this is what we base our Christian faith off of. If we deviate from that, then you can't even call it true Christian faith anymore. It's become something else. It's become uh, just a, you know, a, a just it's not the true uh it's not the true understanding of who Jesus is next we see that these ancient greeks loved a contra a a, a a constant flow of changing uh, information they they were all about the newest fad they they needed a, a stream of news all the time something that they could talk about something that they could debate about they were obsessed they were infatuated with information and it's crazy i mean again not much has changed you look at us today as the world and what do we have where's all the information stored on the world wide web on the net and 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 we as people are infatuated with information and we're inundated with so much information nowadays days. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. We're a million times over what those Stoic and Epicurean philosophers were inundated with back then. And, and, and here we are. We still see this same idea going on. 
people just being just obsessed with information. They were itching for new news. They were itching for new information because they took great pride in being able to debate and win their arguments. We see, again, this line of thinking alive and well in our day and age today. When you look at it, from junior high school and beyond, students are encouraged and taught how to debate. Even uh, you look at our, our country and, and leading up to the presidential elections, there's, there's a debate where opposing candidates, a Republican and Democrat, right? Uh, Trump and Biden, they're going to face off soon in a war of words. Um, mm-hmm. While all debating is not wrong, right? I, I can't say that at all. But this kind of debating, when it's done in a worldly fashion, it brings about no good for any person at all. It simply just perpetuates more debating. Able not to agree on any valid answer or solution, you're left with the individual's opinion deciding what's right and wrong. And that's what went on with these philosophers. Because many times the winner was crowned based on popular opinion, based on what the majority thought. Who did the majority side with? But we have to ask the question, what if the majority of thinking is wrong? What happens then? What if the majority of people who are saying, yes, 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 that's the correct opinion, that's the correct answer? Well, I'll tell you what it it leads to. It leads to absolute chaos. It's the blind leading the blind. When the gospel or excuse me, with the gospel message, it's completely different. There is absolute truth. There is absolute wrongs. You either will believe these absolute truths in Jesus Christ, or you won't. The work of Jesus, in a sense, forces you to decide. It forces you to make a decision. Excuse me, a decision. It forces you to make a choice. That is the biggest struggle for non-believers. They feel as if they have to decide, and they don't like that. They don't like to be put in a position where they have to make a choice. Coming face-to-face with the true and living God doesn't allow you any wiggle room to move away, to, to, to avoid the question. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Let us be those who give clear reasons why choosing to accept Jesus Christ's gift of salvation is the right choice. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for just this time to uh, be in your word, Lord, to, to hear from you, to dissect the scriptures, and to see the truth that you have for us today. Lord, even though uh, these scriptures are, are 2,000 years old, Lord, roughly. They are very alive, Lord. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And though these accounts happen uh, many centuries ago, it is very applicable to our day and age right now to the moment. Lord, we see that there are many that uh, unfortunately, erect idols in their lives, Lord. And if we uh, have idols in our lives, Lord, may you deal with us, Lord. May you convict us, Lord. May you give us the ability to forsake the idols that we've erected in our hearts and in our lives. And may we hand them over to you. May you, may they be crushed. May they be destroyed. And may we only praise and honor you and not things and not people, Lord. And also, there's many who 
are all into information, who love to philosophize, who love to share all these different ideas of how to live and what intellect is and what knowledge is, Lord. But knowledge without wisdom is empty, Lord. It does has no staying power. Father, I pray that you would help us to apply your wisdom to our lives so we could understand truly what we are living for and how to live. Father, and I pray, Lord, for those that are lost in their, their pursuit of, of, of knowledge, their pursuit of information, Lord, may they be convicted, Lord, to come to terms and see that what they're chasing is empty dreams and who they need is Jesus Christ. Lord, may you help us to be those that would uh, share the truth of Jesus Christ in love to those who, who desperately need it. And also, Lord, help us to be those that are bold, in our faith to proclaim, to stand up for the truth of who Jesus Christ is, to not turn a blind eye to wrong being done to other people. Lastly, I just pray, Lord, for anyone who's listening, that uh, if they have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would uh, repent of their sins and that they would ask for forgiveness and ask to be brought into uh, your fold, that their names would be written in the Lamb's book of life and that they could have peace with you from here until eternity, Lord. And so again, Father, we thank you for uh, your word this morning. We thank you for uh, the time that you've given us to to grow in your word. And we pray that you give us the ability to apply what we've heard today. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.